Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition. I'm your host, Michael Flores. If you are new to our show, we actually cover a very wide variety of Star Trek content, and you can find our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search from the Holodeck. Our preferred podcast provider is, of course, iTunes, but you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star rating and drop a review it helps our show grow and we get more eyes on our show so in the studio with me today is of course ensign david sabal hello how's it going captain all right so we are back to discuss season two of lower decks the the series that basically everyone what everyone hate wanted to hate yeah but at the end we all love it now yeah, I mean, I could have put it better any other way. You're absolutely right. You know, before the first season, I had little faith in this show, but it quickly won me over and ended up being, in all honesty, Dave, it ended up being the most Trek of yes. all of the new era of Star Trek under yeah. Kurtzman's leadership. And that's not a bad thing. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm just saying that this show surprised me that out of all of the star trek series to date that we've been given picard discovery uh, and lower decks even short treks i feel like i've enjoyed lower decks more than more than the rest so i am very excited for season two dave which also makes me nervous because now that there are expectations we know what that means right like before we had no expectations we're like all right let's see let's give this shit show a, a shot and now that it wowed us and amazed us, now there are expectations, which isn't always good. Well, especially since like the season finale, the season finale for me was absolutely perfect for the series. Yeah. I mean, ending it with Riker and the Titan showing up. Yeah. And I remember me and you were just giggling because we both were like going, it's when so- that happened, all of us, all Trek Trekkies out there turned into Boimler. <laughs> Oh, and yeah. we are all fanboyish and, and fanboyish and pointed at the screen and said, it's the Titan. Yeah, oh yeah. We literally <laughs> were a Boimler when he yelled Titan. It's the Titan. We were all saying that as well. I, I remember getting on the show and feeling completely like an idiot because yes. I was literally him. And that's the, the thing. Sa- that's the same face and all. And that's the thing. This, this series honestly is the most fun trek I've had for all of Kurtzman. Yeah. I mean, Discovery's great. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy Discovery. Absolutely, yeah. And, and there are great things about Picard. There's great things about Picard, but like, I it, 
Lower Decks is the only one that I walk away from and go, that was really fun. And yeah. I had, I, I actually felt like I was watching a Star Trek type of story being told. Right. Which is a lens of comedy. Yeah. I mean, through a lens of comedy, I should say. And honestly, it doesn't matter if it comes off in the form of comedy, because as we know, Star Trek can be many things. It doesn't have to always be what we've been given throughout the last, what, 50 plus years. So the fact that Mike McMahon comes in and gives us a show that's just steeped in humor and yet it still works as a Star Trek series. Yes. Took me by surprise because I didn't think Star Trek would work, you know, in a comedy format. But I will say that the reason why it does work is because he chooses to focus on character driven episodic stories that speak to the bulk of the Trek audience, the old school fans, uh, particularly the ones like ourselves, you know, yeah. that have been here on this Trek train for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And like, think, think about it out of all the writers we've dealt with in, in Kurtzman's run of Star Trek in his era, yeah. Mike McMahon's the one who, I feel legitimately is a Star Trek fan. He, yeah. He's he's approaching his series with the love of Star Trek. I don't think he was that typical guy that says, yeah, I like Star Trek. Really? What Star Trek did you watch? Oh, I really love Next Generation. Did you watch Deep Space Nine? No. No. Well, then are you really a huge Star Trek fan? No, you're a Star Trek The Next Generation fan, which is fine. But then you have someone like Mike McMahon that, in my <laughs> opinion, it feels like he understands all of Star Trek because yes. he's watched all of it. And and every single episode, especially from the last season, every single episode that he has given us, yeah, every single time I feel like he's always trying to prove to the audience, hey, I love Star Trek as yeah. much as you guys. Guess what? You know this reference? I'm only the only one that knows it. Yeah, he's flexing that Star <laughs> he's Trek. He's flexing card. it. He's like, you see this? I got one. And like, it's it's funny to me because like. You'd expect this type of passion out of the other series, especially, you know, like Picard and maybe right. a little bit of Discovery. But it's a cart. It's I hate saying that word. Mm -hmm. It's a cartoon, but it's an animated show right. that is outdoing everybody in, in the new era right now. Yeah. Well, again, I, I feel like. I don't necessarily feel like this is a thing like I'm okay with the new era of Star Trek and how they're telling stories, but there are a lot of complaints, Dave, about how they're telling the stories and how everything has to be very dramatic world ending storylines. <laughs> story and they yeah. said, that's not what Star Trek was always about. You would have like a four or five episode arc many times where, okay, we need to save the universe or we need to save our lives. We need to save the ship. Yeah. Um, whereas discovery now is going on like three seasons where they're trying to save the universe, universe. and then Picard now trying to save the universe from AI you know, invasion, which is basically discovery season 2.0.1, yes. you know? So that's why the, the, the thing that people are saying that are, that are enjoying lower decks is that Mike McMahon is focusing on those episodic character driven, -driven. moments. And yes. that's why it works so well. And that's why, you know, like I, we'll get into it more, but I think, yeah. I think honestly the final scene of the episode was there to kind of give a, a, a middle finger to like the people who say Star Trek has to be grandiose and right. world universe ending story stories and everything. And 
that's the amazing thing with Mike McMahon is like he's able. Remember last season, we were like really questioning can you mix Star Trek with the type of humor that Mike McMahon's going to bring, right. especially from his Rick and Morty days? Mm-hmm. And every, I, it felt like halfway through the season, me and you kept saying, okay, we see the potential. We see the potential. Where's the moment that we say, okay, Mike McMahon knows what he's doing. And it was like, I remember that about midway through the season, it was one of the episodes that dealt with one of the characters ascending into, yeah. uh, into a new plane of yeah. existence. And it was at that moment we were like going, okay, this is good. This is good. Yeah. Because Mike McMahon understands I'm going to tell a Star Trek story, but I'm going to also make fun of it in my own special way. Yeah. It's not quite a parody because it's yeah. also very unique and original and it's telling real Star Trek stories. But at the same time, they're having fun. They're having fun. I don't think there's ever been a show quite like this. In all, in all honesty, like it's a parody, but then it's also very much Star Trek at the same time. It's funny. Uh, there are great character development moments. So, well, where where a parody would absolutely go over the top with mm-hmm. everything, and you would be left with like this, you know, extra uh, extraordinary type of moment that is, you know, laugh out loud. McMahon's humor, while it's parody like, you. Also kind of have the sense that, you know, in that situation, I probably do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Like, say, for example, like in the very beginning, you have the beginning of the episode where <laughs> she's literally using the holodeck for a therapy session. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm like going, wait a minute. You know what? We might make fun of that. But who wouldn't use it as a therapy session? I mean, every uh, we make jokes about how of all the debauchery that holodecks would go through right Mm -hmm. but in a real life scenario if i had a holodeck that could actually be used for my own self-therapy you're damn right i'm gonna use it yeah (laughs) well that's i believe we said that during our uh during the last season discussion we said that mike mcmahon uses a lot of the jokes that we have used throughout (laughs) the years yeah and that's how you know he's like a legit star trek fan because the jokes he makes in this show is the jokes that are the jokes that you and I and many Star Trek fans have made have amongst made. ourselves for for decades. I mean, look at look at the beginning of this episode with the Cardassian um uh <laughs> the four I, lights. I can't even think of the name right now. The Cardassian um interrogator. Interrogator. There. Thank you. I mean, the four lights. I mean, that this that has been a joke with between me and my brother for since we were kids and and of course you and I as well, the four lights. And then look, look, look how the episode opens up. <laughs> opens up. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So it does seem that Mike McMahon isn't going to change much to his formula. And I, and I'm, I'm on board for that. Like, listen, don't change your formula. What do we always say? Don't re- reinvent the wheel. If it's working, don't change it. Yes. And just by, you know, viewing the opening of, the very first episode of season two, we already can tell that we're going to fall right into that formula. Yeah. And the, and the, the cool part too, is like, he still has the mindset mindset of a writer to continue his narrative. Like, Oh yeah. The fact of the matter is, oh. is like, we pick up right on the, uh, at the end of season one with Mariner, you know, she's dealing with this new scenario that she's in and it's, very different for her dealing with her mom 
And they continued the narrative. They continued yeah. the character growth. And that's something that I am very pleased with that we didn't cut from season one and then, all right, new scenario, new stories. And we're kind of just going to forget what we did with the first season. Exactly. But no, you're absolutely right. They picked up pretty much where we left off. All right. So let's officially get into this season two, episode one titled strange energies. It was actually written by Mike McMahon himself, the showrunner and leader. The synopsis, the USS Cerritos is dispatched on a mission, which results in an encounter with a strange energy. So as you had mentioned, Dave, this episode opens on Mariner back to her old antics as she feeds her adrenaline junkie needs by working out in the holodeck (laughs) through a Cardassian uh, interrogation program where she passive aggressively <laughs> lets a hologram version of Boimler die. Die. <laughs> and, and the funny part is, Mike, I'm sorry. I saw this and the way Mariner uses the holodeck, I pictured you doing this. Oh, yeah. I would put people on like, hey, you're going to die, you motherfucker. <laughs> I remember what you did to me. <laughs> and I was like, going, see, this is what, this is the type of humor that we as Trek fans would yeah. understand. Yeah, I just loved how Mariner really, literally is all of us in that holodeck. I mean, wasn't yeah. it? Okay, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't last year open up with her in the holodeck and she had a program with a bunch of nude dudes working out? I think so, yeah. <laughs> like they were on treadmills running with no clothes? With no clothes. Yeah, that's fucking great. So McMahon didn't waste any time getting right back to Mariner's mini problems. The most flawed, yeah, I'd say that, the most flawed Starfleet officer of all time. Yes. Is still struggling to follow the rules, but after the events of last season, she has managed to find common ground with her mother, Captain Freeman, which was, I would say, the bulk of the myth arc last year. Yes. So they are bringing that little bit of closure because it feels like, hey, listen, they're still going to be at odds, but they respect each other. They have found a new level of respect. So here's a little closure on that, but... Moving there, forward, exactly. Eh, there's still going to be a little bit of an anti- antagonistic relationship. There. There's progression. Yeah. There's actual natural progression with characters. Yeah. That I wasn't expecting. You know, like in a in a animated show to see like them take story arcs and give their characters some natural progression. It what? feels good. What's like, that? Like, like, and, and that's the thing that drives me nuts. Nowadays, especially when me and you have covered like some uh, some of the other Star Trek things where they just basically forget about the progression of the last season. There's either no progress. It's very there's either no progression for numerous episodes. And then suddenly by like episode seven, there's a bunch of forced forced progression progression. in a single episode. And we're left wondering, what the fuck did we just watch? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So fortunately, I don't see them redoing any of Mariner's problems with her mom for this season, no doubt it will be used as a bit of a, a sounding board, if you will. However, it does look like Mariner's insecurities will continue to be front and center, which is the best part of this character is her insecurities, specifically when it comes to her friendship with Boimler, which I have a feeling Dave, that might actually be the myth arc. I think so too. Feeling that Boimler, are we going to get his name right this year? Because I'm already struggling. With his name. <laughs> Boimler, I have a feeling, is going to be on the Titan all season. And we're going to go back and forth. And sure, they may meet up with each other here and there throughout yeah. the, the season. 
But I have a feeling that's what they're going to do. There's going to be a lot of back and forth, um, passive aggressive. You know, Mariner is going to do things to Boimler on the Titan. Boimler is going to be miserable on the Titan Titan. because he can't take it. So, well, dude, that whole the moment when basically they say the crew thinks that Boimler got everything he wanted, which is true. He wanted to be on the Titan. Be careful what you wish for, right? And and they were like going, he's probably so happy right now. And then they cut to, they just smash cut right to Boimler in the middle of like a battle. And I was like cracking up at that one. I think that was one of the best ways they could have ended the episode because we were all curious. Okay. Are are we going to see Boimler? Are we going to see Riker? And he's not living his best life. Like he's definitely (laughs) not enjoying himself. I think he's very comfortable with the, the slow, the, the slower quiet, life, the quiet life on board the Cerritos. That that's what he got used to, and now suddenly he's in with Riker, who's uh, who I think is just a perfect way. The, the way McMahon has framed this version of Riker yeah. is actually true to Riker's characterization. It's just it's hyper real. It's hyper real. It's like adjusted to like level eleven. Yeah, it was at ten, but now they just turned the down to eleven, and suddenly this is the Riker we got. And honestly, dude, I would love to see a complete series of just Riker on the Titan after the introduction we got of him. Oh yeah, I'm like, like all the crew is just as crazy as he is too because they treat it like normal. I have a feeling <laughs> that this show is going to be a little bit of back and forth. I I don't I know so if too. it intended to be that in the beginning, but. Because Riker was such a huge hit last season and what they did with him. I have a feeling that Jonathan Franks is like, listen, I'm here for it. If you need me, I'm here. And of course, who wouldn't jump at that? Mike, Mike McMahon would be a fool not to jump at, you know, using Jonathan (laughs) Franks as Riker as much as he can. And, And honestly, just hearing Jonathan Franks do his dialogue you get a sense that he's having a lot of fun more fun than i would say and then picard man dude i will have to say like when he started raising his voice that man jonathan franks has not lost his temper at all no he hasn't it said he sounds exactly the same as he did in tng and the movies and the beautiful part was like his attitude like his personality, I hope they do more with his personality they with Boimler. To. Because, like, my favorite moment in the entire episode, while Mariner and the whole story with Ransom was fantastic. Yeah. They ended in such a good way because, like, I'm like, I want to know more about Riker, especially that moment when he goes, this jam session has too many licks and not enough <laughs> counts. And then Boimler just pops up. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> He's completely out of his element, it's out dude. out of his element. It's so great. And... I don't know if I should take this as an insult. Like maybe I should feel bad about myself, but just like last season when Boimler got really excited and pointed at the screen and said, it's a Titan. And we all did the exact same thing as we're watching the episode. I did it again in this episode when Riker says, we're about to enter into what, what do they say? Glugonic space. Glugonic space. And I'm like, what is that? And Boimler's all, what is that? And I was like, oh my God, I am Boimler. Yes, exactly. We're all Boimler and now we're stuck with Riker. Dude, it's such a great perspective that Mike McMahon has latched onto. You know, I have a feeling that if we are connecting to Boimler as much as we are, other viewers have to be as well. Yeah. 
possibly maybe Mike McMahon is Boimler. We know writers put themselves <laughs> in TV shows. And because Mike McMahon is a huge Star Trek fan, perhaps he literally is writing himself in there. And that's why we all connect to that character. Because like it's almost like a really personal take on like if you were truly in the Star Trek universe, do you think you would know everything? Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. It's such a fun show. It is. Yeah, so I um I'm assuming that we're going to focus on that relationship between Boimler and Mariner quite a bit and the the parallels between the two, one living on the Cerritos and the other living on the Titan and uh, hopefully we'll get that cross connection here and there throughout the season. I can't imagine Boimler completely being off on his own the entire year. You know, the show is titled Lower Decks, and he's now at the con <laughs> on board the Titans. That's um, no longer Lower Decks. That's not Lower Decks. He's not part of the, the scrub class. Yeah. And because the writing is, is it's, it's such a, like a funny show, but it's also very tight, um, they were able to give us even some development on our secondary characters. I would call it, I guess, story B in this episode here, Rutherford and Tendi. Oh dude. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that, that we did not forget about our side characters because a lot of the, the Cerritos crew by the end of it really grew on me. I mean, I love the character of ransom and oh, yeah. I like the character of Rutherford, especially Rutherford in the very end of season two. I legitimately was like, they're not going to like hurt him, you know? No, Rutherford's good. <laughs> and then like when you get, get the, continue the story arc from him dealing with the new implant, again, it was Mike McMahon showing that I'm seriously taking control of the writing and making sure that my beats are constantly in time. Yeah. And you have like this really nice, tight consistency that could easily have gone, gone awry. Well, we have. I think we got into an interview that Mike McMahon did, I want to say with uh, the Hollywood Reporter last year, where he said, uh, they asked him what his his strategy is behind writing the show and why it, why, how does he make it feel so like Star Trek? And yet it's funny. And he said, straight out, or straight up, he said, I, I'm writing a Star Trek series. I'm writing a Star Trek episode, and then I add the humor in after. So I'm like, okay, that works. That makes sense. And that actually lends credence, or I should say strengthens the fact that, yes, this is, in fact, a true Star Trek series. You know, hearing that he wrote it just like he would a Star Trek series, except he adds some humor afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. And you can totally tell. Um, but you can't have Lower Decks or a, an, a, a Lower Decks episode without some Trek references. Uh, the dilemma this episode, the big thing, we found Commander <laughs> Ransom being yes. given godlike powers. I was so giddy when they did this, dude. Which paved the way for, you know, the original series references like yes. Gary Mitchell, Gary who Mitchell. Kirk smashed with a boulder. And the only way to, dis to, to, to stop Ransom was to put a boulder on top of him. <laughs> and then, the, the, but the best part by far about that. I'm like going, oh my God, they killed Ransom. And then they smash cut to him. Oh, he's going to make a full recovery. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, going, what the hell? Yeah, I love it. I mean, this uh, Gary Mitchell thing, that's actually a deep cut. Most people don't remember that episode. I mean, I have watched the original series, Dave, 
forever. And yet that episode still catches me off guard every yeah. time I rewatch. I'm like, oh yeah, okay, I remember this. this- yeah, it's the Where No Man Has Gone. I think it is. I don't remember the title. I just remember the guy was a doucher and he had powers. And and, he had powers. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's one of my favorite episodes because it really en- encapsulates Star Trek writing for me. Mm-hmm. Like it, there, there's a, you know, sci-fi there's element, but there's a moral to it. Yeah. And at the very end, there's a cost to like everything. And you have character growth throughout the entire thing. By the time you get to the very end, you kind of go, oh, man, I kind of feel for Gary. Yeah. And and like here, this is what Mike McMahon's tapping into. Right. And that's why I feel that like I think at this point last season, me and you had our hesitations. I don't have I'm entering this season with zero hesitation. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so let's get into the references from episode one. You can't have, once again, a Lower Decks episode without some deep cuts, some Easter eggs, some straight-up references into past Star Trek iterations. So I have a list here. Now, I caught a large portion of these. (laughs) However, I should give credit where credit is due. Den of Geek has an entire article where they... They must have watched this episode on repeat because they caught a lot of stuff. Oh, they did. There they are did. some things that I didn't even catch. Now, the first one is they keep showing me lights. That's an obvious That's a, yeah. reference to the episode where Picard was captured called, or I should say titled Chain of Command, where he where Picard was captured by the Cardassians, and uh, it it spawned decades of jokes <laughs> about four lights. Four lights. Too many ships to count. All right. So there are an assortment of ships that were inside of the Cardassian facility. Uh, there was a Federation runabout, a Jem'Hadar fighter, a nemesis era Romulan warbird, an old school Romulan warbird from the original series, and a Federation fighter craft like the one seen in TNG's preemptive strike. Now, Mike, this was I read about this. And a lot of people were speculating this was Mike McMahon making fun of Picard. Because in the very end, they couldn't show, like, all these ships. Yeah. And I heard that basically a lot of people were saying, this was Mike McMahon's little dig at Picard. So they're like, hey, look, this is how you show billions of ships <laughs> that are different. Yeah. I-, I like how he did a cartoon, and yet he was able to animate, you know, tons of different tons vessels. Tons of different vessels. And he didn't bother to clone stamp. <laughs> like, uh, like some shows. So the next reference, the Miranda-class USS McDuff. We saw Mariner steal a Miranda-class Federation starship when she was in that holodeck program. Now, of course, Dave, the Miranda-class was first seen in the Wrath of Khan. Yep. In the form of the USS Reliant. The bridge for this ship is basically identical to the Reliant. To the Reliant. Yep. Uh, And that was actually a really cool nod. I thought that that was actually a cool thing. Yeah, it was. All right. She says, I also, or she, what am I confused today? I am. (laughs) The next reference, I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflict. Mariner's dislike of Jennifer is punctuated by her talking to herself saying, I know we're not supposed to have interpersonal conflict but I really hate that Andorian. (laughs) This, of course, references a long-standing rule from the TNG era of Trek TV that Starfleet officers weren't supposed to have petty differences with each other. It's supposed to 
be a display of, you know, progressiveness. Utopian. And all, yes. Utopian. In all facets of life. Yep. A slightly new opening credits. In season one, we saw the Cerritos running away from a battle involving a bunch of Borg cubes and Romulan warbirds. Now, it includes a packed ship from the season one finale, a few Klingon birds of prey, and seemingly fewer Borg. Rutherford's date with Ensign Barn. Uh, Strange Energies directly parallels the 2020 season one debut, Second Contact, in several ways. The crew is involved with a Second Contact mission that goes horribly wrong, and Rutherford starts dating Barnes for the first time. In the season one finale, Rutherford lost his memory, which is why his relationship with Barnes seems new to him. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Sonic power washing, of course, we know that's from the Sonic showers. That was a big part of the TNG era. We already spoke about Gary Mitchell. Now, they say that there was a possible Harlan Ellison reference. Now, if people don't know who Harlan Ellison is, he was one of the writers on the original series and, of course, is one of the greatest science fiction writers of this modern age. While Ransom is starting to work out, you can briefly hear him say, the trick isn't becoming a god, the trick is staying a god. This could be a reference to the axiom attributed to Harlan Ellison. The trick isn't becoming a writer. The trick is staying Staying a writer. writer. Okay. That's a stretch. However, because Mike McMahon is a writing nerd, I can see him doing that. Exactly. That's, that's why when I, when I first read about this, I was like, I don't know. I could see him using this as a reference, especially because Harlan Ellison is one of the most important writers for Star Trek. He gave us, the best Star Trek episode of all time that all all trickies out there basically say he is the one that gave us the greatest Star Trek episode of all time. So it would make on the edge of city of on the edge of forever. forever. And like, it would make sense that, uh, just a little nod, because the thing I like about McMahon, while he does a lot of these references and Easter eggs and all the shows, the way he delivers those Easter eggs are very subtle at times and it it causes you to think and it doesn't distract you and it doesn't distract you. Right. A lot of shows when they're dealing with geek dumb, you know, franchises, many times what you'll get is you'll get a lot of moments that are actually distractions because they're trying to give you those little fan service moments and it doesn't really work. Whereas with lower decks, it is just so casually placed. And because the show is already at a very fast, crazy pace that it doesn't really sink in until several seconds later. Like, oh, wait a second. Okay, well, we're on to the next thing. So, all right. So the next one, Ransom on the Mount. Mariner says that Jack is going all Ransom on the Mount. This is almost certainly a reference to a hilarious fan video called Shatner on the Mount, in which a group called Fall on Your Sword remixed a behind-the-scenes interview with William Shatner promoting Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, into a hilarious kind of talking rap song. (laughs) The Giant Godhead. A giant godhead coming out to grab a starship might seem silly, but there are several presidents for this kind of thing in Trek canon. Oh, easily. Yeah, I mean, this is a typical villain in the original series. In fact, it says in the original series episode, who mourns for Adonis, a giant green hand. That's right. Yeah. A giant green hand grabs the Enterprise, Enterprise. which is later revealed to be the hand of the God Apollo. 
eh, the last thing is just kind of the LDS thing. Here's the next one. Rutherford incorrectly refers to SMD as LDS. LDS. This one I did catch. This references a few things. First, for most fans, the official abbreviation of Lower Decks is LDS, right? But that abbreviation also references a very popular joke from Star Trek IV The Voyage Home in which Kirk incorrectly refers to the drug LSD as LDS. Yeah, so those are the the main references. Is there anything that you caught or something you would like to mention before we move into our final thoughts? Uh, I think we covered most of them, right? I I think, honestly, my favorite one was the Ellison one because the Ellison one, that is a smart way of doing a reference. If it was supposed to be a reference, Mike McMahon hasn't come out and said it's a reference. I'm pretty sure it is. But we all know that just with all the elements out there, he did it so nice and subtly that you don't re- realize it unless you are like a fan of Star Trek and writing like us, the hardcore fans. And I, it's, it's a really great example of how Mike McMahon is able to do these references and Easter eggs without distracting you from the story. How many times, how many series have we covered where people have tried to do references and Easter eggs to the bigger franchise at whole and it takes away from the story. Yeah. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. This is surprisingly, and listen, I'm still shocked. This is a well-written show. It is. I know there are still some haters out there, but I think the people that are hating on this show, I feel like they have just found comfort in hating <laughs> comfort. on this new era of Trek. I, I feel like it's just become a, uh, a habit for them to just kind of say, ah, fuck it. It is. This is Kurtzman era. And listen, I understand Kurtzman kind of did it to himself. There are a few things he has done that I don't even agree with, of course, despite the fact that there are some there are some people out there that have listened to our shows that then send messages calling us shills for Kurtzman, which is the farthest thing from the truth, because we have taken Kurtzman to task so many times. But also, we're not biased. If something is good, something is good. I'm not going to hold the entire franchise hostage in some type of toxic you know, prison yeah. because I didn't like something that Kurtzman did. Especially when it's a series that has honestly earned its fun title. It's fun, you know, resume. Yeah. The, the series in lower decks is fun. Most of the time that I see people criticize lower decks, they basically say they call out the references and call them stupid. But then like, you know, at the same time they're laughing at them. Right. So if they're stupid, but you still find humor in them, what do you ultimately, what are you trying to say? Yeah. And that's why I agree with you hundred percent at this point with Star Trek, with people who hate on lower decks and just don't want to have fun. That's it. They just don't want to have fun. Yeah. And, and we're girls and we just want to have fun. Yeah, pretty much. I want to be like on right. I want to be on Titan with Riker. Yeah. <laughs> we are Boimler. Let's be we honest. Are Boimler. We'll be scared. We'll be scared, but I'll, I'll have fun. Yeah. All right. So this does bring us to our final thoughts. Mike McMahon wrote this episode and it was fun, uh, but it wasn't as solid. I'll be honest. It wasn't as solid as the episodes had become by the end of season one. It's not bad, but I, I feel like it is a bit inferior when compared to where we left off. But this is just the beginning. Exactly. And we're just getting started. They're laying down the groundwork for what's to come. So listen, far from being 
horrible. It was very fun. I'm going to give this episode an 84%, Dave. Go ahead. I'm I'm going to actually I'm going to actually give this one an 88. I I was kind of really? I was actually veering between 88 or an, even a 90, but giving it a 90 I think is only influenced because this is the one time that I can fully feel that I have fun. I had fun yeah. watching a Star Trek, something that's something that's Star Trek related. Mm-hmm. And mo- most of the going up to the 90 is because I w- want people to stop their toxicity and basically st- just say, hey, let's watch a series that is made to have fun and not shit all over it just because of outside influences that the series has no control over. Yeah. So, but in all honesty, as a critique, I agree with you. It's not, it it doesn't match up to like the levels of the last, what, six or seven episodes. Yeah. Last last or six, six or seven episodes, but it was a good start. I would have to say that this was a better start than season one. Oh yeah. Oh, easily. Because season one, remember we we had, we were nervous. We were nervous. In fact, I think we hated on that first episode and then we came back. We're like, the second episode and we're like okay well this is pretty fucking pretty good, good. and then like and right then off it, the it gate was, it, it, he starts us off in a nice spot yeah so i'm I, i'm gonna actually say i give this one an 88 at the end okay yeah that's fair and that averages out to what roughly 85 percent uh for a show grade roughly yeah roughly all right now there are good things to look forward to dave as per usual, other review sites were given uh, screeners of the entire season, whereas we were not fucking pieces of shit. <laughs> what do we got to do? What do we got to do? Listen, we do better reviews of all of Star Trek. I, I'm very confident. We get very thorough. Not with Lower Decks because it's not that type of show. But if you listen to our Discovery discussions and our Picard discussions and our Patreon discussions, I mean, we go in depth. Um, however... I digress. According to numerous sites who have screened the bulk of the second season, they all say that season two is on fire. <laughs> yes. They said it's better than the first season. Because so that's something to look forward to. Yeah. Dave. Because like, remember, I mean, like me and you, the reasoning we said that the beginning of the first season was rough was because Mike McMahon had to find his footing. Yeah. And that's usually the case with a lot of shows. Mm hmm. You know, I think a lot of people, including ourselves, we have become accustomed to the binge era where we want a lot of it immediately, uh, opposed to just waiting for the show to find its feet and get the story going. So, listen, I can I can admit when we're wrong, and we were definitely wrong with our first episode discussion for season one. But listen, we turned our thoughts around very quick, and we were very adamantly for this show. In fact, I believe I made a a bold statement, David, on social media at the end of the year and said, who would have thought that a cartoon that I did not look forward to ended up being one of the best elements of (laughs) Trek we have been given in years. And you weren't the only one. I mean, everyone is in agreement about that, that lower decks has turned into the series that, a lot of people in the new era of Star Trek are pointing to and saying they're the best show. Well, Dave, I when I made that post on social media, 
there are people who follow a lot of our review shows, a lot of listeners, and a lot of those people have come to respect our opinions. And when I said that, they're like, wait a second, the cartoon you're talking about? I'm like, yeah. They're like, I haven't listened to your discussions. You guys like it that much? I'm like, dude, it's fucking good. And I had an entire discussion on Facebook with numerous people. They all went to go watch it, and they came back the next day and said, dude, you are right. I just binged through that entire season. I was laughing my ass off. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing what Mike McMahon has been able to do for Star Trek. And do I think that we should, you know, automatically throw the blank check at Mike McMahon and say, hey, write anything for Star Trek? Not quite yet. I mean, yeah. stick to your guns. Right. <laughs> stick, stick to, to what you do. And, yeah, stick to what you're good at. We we don't know, honestly, if Mike McMahon can do anything outside of cartoons. Exactly. That, that's his thing. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But we'll see. Maybe they will give him a live action episode to write on Discovery or Picard or Strange New Worlds. And then suddenly we're like, holy shit, this guy can fucking write live action as well. <laughs> All right. Now give this guy a fucking blank check, please. Exactly. All right, Dave, we do need to wrap up our show. But before I want to remind people to please find us on iTunes, give us a five star rating. We do need those ratings because it does bring more eyeballs to our feeds It triggers those algorithms and uh, it helps us grow the show. And if we don't grow, there's no reason to continue doing this show. So we need your assistance. Also, patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. When you pledge $5 or more a month, you will gain access to additional Star Trek discussions from David and I. We get into all of it. We have hundreds of hours already there so when you subscribe you're already going to gain access to tons of shows an entire backlog a library of shows uh, we've get into topics pertaining to q i think we have like a seven-part series there we have a seven-part series of discussions for the borg uh, we're currently working our way through uh, a 12-part discussion that is based solely on the maquis yep uh, we have gotten into a discussion on Section 31 as well. We cover comic books. We do a lot of Star Trek content. So patreon.com slash Rayman Digital. Be sure to pledge. Thank you, David. Thank you. Let's live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.